Welcome to the Recovery Stories Podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Hello and welcome to this episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. My name is Patrick Custer and I am your host. I'm so excited, extra, extra excited to get things kicked off today uh, for this episode. We've got somebody so special here uh, to share with you today. And I just I just can't wait to hear his story um, from a different perspective and introduce him to y'all. He's one of the funniest people I've ever seen and a true hero in the world of comedy due to his openness uh, about his recovery. Um, I'd like to welcome at this time, writer, actor, phenomenal comedian, Zach Noe Towers. Yes, yes. Hi, Patrick. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. And even better now that we're here today, it is (laughs) National Recovery Month. And it's one of my favorite times of year because uh, for people like us, um, we get just that extra opportunity to um, really spotlight and showcase and speak out and be open about um, all things recovery. And it feels like the world is listening, listening a little bit more than usual. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Even like, I, I would say mental health has become, uh, has been in the spotlight in the mm-hmm. past few years. There's another comedian, Taylor Tomlinson, whose recent Netflix special, she talks all about her mental health journey. And it's like, very cool to see like a very popular comic on Netflix talk about, you know, going to a psychiatrist and not having shame around that and like, you know, getting better. So Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, at Promises, which is our parent company that runs this um, uh, podcast, we are talking about this year for Recovery Month, what it means to be recovery ready, um, which is, you know, an interesting term, but one we're throwing around because, uh, you know, every year we pick a theme to to talk about National Recovery Month in a different way. But Mm -hmm. um, no matter what you're recovering from, whether it's substances, um, process addiction, uh, you know, mental health disorders. There are there are themes that are so very important that we have to wake up every day and um, and choose to remember and utilize uh, as the day goes on. You know, yeah. like it, it, to protect our recovery and things yeah. like openness and you know breaking stigma that we're doing all month long can help with that. But I kind of wanted to to ask you, what are, what are just to kick things off, what are some of those things that, uh, that help you even today in your walk of recovery to stay centered and healthy? Sure. Stay further away from a drink. I mean, I was mm-hmm. like a drinker, drug user. I like obviously substituted things like men, caffeine, sugar, 
you know, food. But um, for me, it's really become all about doing less more often. Um, so it, it, like something I've done since the beginning of my sobriety. So like over six years is I make my bed every morning and I, that might be a cliche at this point, but like I even make hotel beds because it's like a little tiny victory. It's an esteemable act that makes my room look nicer and it makes me feel good. And it's like, <clears throat> I won't get back into bed, you know, cause it, it looks nice and it's made and like I've, I try to meditate, but I want to be honest and say that like, I'm on a meditation journey, but like I, I do five minutes and sometimes it's horrible. Sometimes I'm literally thinking about myself the whole time, but it's having the willingness to do these small things that lead to more. Like it's like, I, I, we, all we have is now and there are only so many things you can do now. So life has really become about these small decisions that I try to make. I, I may still make dumb decisions. I still like lose afternoons to Netflix sometimes. Like I'm not perfect. I'm not going to scold myself, but like, you know, for if you're, it's like you order the salad with the burger instead of the fries, you know, you get out of yeah. bed instead of hitting snooze, you go to the gym instead of like saying, Oh, I'll do something later. Cause like, that's all that's not later's not real. So I try mm-hmm. to be very present and I try to make tiny decisions that will make my life better and take me further away, closer to recovery and farther away from, you know, active like using. So I love all of that. But in my journey of recovery, one thing that's been I've identified as a constant for me is I call them little truth nuggets, the the guiding posts that I pick up from different people when I hear them. And one that I just heard from you um, that I'm not going to forget is it's the little things um, that we have the willingness or choose the willingness to do that lead to more. Because it's like we are always one directional. There's no stagnation in Mm -hmm. life. But in recovery and a wellness journey, we're going one one way or the other. And um, you just put it so concisely. Like, I love that so much. I'm definitely going to remember that. Yeah. Um, how what's yeah. your journey been like? Are you how you're sober? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got sober in uh, February 16th of 2011. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, my gosh. You're over 10. Yeah. Yeah. And That's when, so you, cool. know, you know, what's weird is. Um, I mean, I realize I'm not old and I lie about my age all the time. I get flack for anybody that knows me personally is going to blast me after this podcast episode if they're watching because I uh, <laughs> nobody knows my real age because I'm constantly lying about it. But um, <laughs> the, the longer and longer I've stayed sober and especially when I hit that 10 year mark, mm-hmm. it's funny how that in and of itself, because I remember when I was first, when I was a a baby sober, which that definition of what being a a baby in sobriety changed along the way for me so much, but especially looking back, but I remember, you know, you know, first getting sober and seeing, seeing the person um, with four or six months sobriety and thinking, oh my gosh, 
this is this is this is a recovery giant right here. This yeah. person has got their life together. <laughs> I can't imagine getting to that point, you know. And yeah. um, and so you know, when I hit the t- when I hit the ten year mark of sobriety in and of itself, I'm like, I, let alone my earthly age, like that just made <laughs> me feel old. But nothing else than gratitude. So, what is your uh? So what? How long have you been sober? Um, I got sober. November 27th, 2015. So I'm approaching seven. Um, it was a congratulations. Thank you. I was, I was a Thanksgiving baby. Um, because I Thanksgiving, I had, I spent my last Thanksgiving, like kind of being like a worthless sack of shit, you know, like I came Mm -hmm. late hungover with like the store bought buns or whatever. And I like, ate some raw stuffing and I fell asleep on the couch. You know what I mean? I was like, yes. and I was like, I wasn't a menace, but I was not a contributing member of that celebration, you know? And yeah. I, Black Friday, I, oh no, it was on Thanksgiving that like, I was like, I'm not going to drink today because I'm so hungover from last night. And I was just, I, I had a, gla- all of a sudden I had a glass of red wine in my hand and I couldn't even remember how I got it. And I was like, Okay. Like, okay. I had been trying to stop and I think I, it was just my last straw. I was like, yeah. And so black Friday was my first day mm. um, sober. I stayed. No, no relapse <laughs> in my story. I mean, not that it's a big deal. Not that please, like if you're listening and you have, if you're a re if you relapse, don't let anyone shame you into not coming back. But I, I'm grateful that I haven't relapsed. You know, I know, we're constantly hearing comparisons to chronic illnesses, but um, it really metaphors and, and comparisons really help my brain like conceive new ideas and reframe things the appropriate mm-hmm. way. So I'm going to go back to that, what somebody shared with me. You know, if we were to compare this to cancer, which is, I, I like using that better than diabetes. I mean, not that diabetes can't be absolutely horribly fatal, but um, all right. So if we're talking about somebody who's term, you know, got tr- uh, cancer, right? Mm-hmm. And they um, they've got uh, they're you know, going to remission and what have you. Um, and and we're back. celebrating, and they're so yeah. great, and we're so happy. And it comes back, and a relapse happens. We're sad, and um, but we know it's part of the disease, and it doesn't. We don't give up on them or hope for the fact that there is healing available and tools that can help them get better. Um, And so I think that, you know, this black or white thinking that society and or the recovery community tries to push on us in regard to um, thinking about relapse, that black and white thinking is so harmful because the truth is, is it is a disease and we should celebrate the fact that people such as yourself and myself haven't had to um, Rela- relapse as yeah. part of our story. Right. We've but, stayed in remission or whatever, yeah. Exactly, but but it's a real thing and it happens. And I think at the same time, stigma has got to be broken for those people that relapse as part. It's, it is so real and it is, I mean, it is a thing and there's no, there should be no more shame or no less value in the recovery story of that person than you and I. I completely agree. And I, I, it's very perfectly uh, arranged in my mind because I've, I've heard people with 32 years speak and wanted nothing that they had. 
And I've heard mm-hmm. people with seven months speak. And I'm like, wow. Yep. What? It does not matter how long you are sober. It matters how like earnestly you're trying to, for me, work the program. I'm in AA. I don't know if we're supposed to talk about that, but like I, I've kind of, I don't know. I, I try not, I'm not speaking for AA when I say that. I'm just saying that's the recovery program that I utilize. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to, so speaking of being open, I want to ask you this before we go through the timeline of your life. Um, for so much of us, when we get sober, we get confronted with the question of, um, you know, what's, I guess the funny and ironic thing for me mm-hmm. is, you know, when I think about like, everybody pretty much, I feel like for most of us, knows that we are problematically either using or drinking before we get sober. But for whatever reason, admitting defeat, which is what I feel like most of us feel when we say we've transferred into sobriety and we're now in recovery. Mm -hmm. That's the tendency, you know, that's the the vibe. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, you know, that conversation that we have with ourselves, are we going to be open? When are we going to be open? Who are we going to be open with? Everybody has to go through that. But you as a public figure and a comedian have navigated that decision. And not only are you open to the public about it, but what I wanted to bring up, and I hope that this is okay because um, it's not talking about your material or anything, but when I, when I went to see you at your show, you so eloquently self-disclosed that you are in recovery. And I, I mean, I wanted to stand up and cheer because, Uh. because that meant so much to me, the way that you chose to self-disclose that because the years, 11 years now of being sober, I've noticed that you get different reactions from people. 99% of them are all positive, but one consistent that I experience is people all of a sudden get this, their, their own shame and guilt about their own consumption Mm -hmm. patterns. Mm -hmm. And so I can only imagine that you've had to have somewhat of a dialogue with yourself about how, how do I talk about that outwardly and not put shame onto other people and keep it all on my own. Like tell, I I just love to hear where you came from, what your thought process was. um, And yeah, for for sure, for sure. Well, first of all, I'm so glad that you enjoyed the way I spoke about it. I, I, I don't, I think I've only scratched the surface in what I will talk about on stage in regards to sobriety and recovery. At this point in my story, I'm making light of it. I'm kind of self-deprecating. I talk about how I'm still kind of messy. Um, But like, I I shout my sobriety from the rooftops because I I owe everything I have to my sobriety. Everything. Mm. The way... I think the way I act, the way I move about the world, like it's all because of sobriety and my recovery program. It really has recalibrated my brain to like continue striving for things that I want, but remaining extremely gratitude for grateful for the things that I have. Wow. That would have been nice if I hadn't like butchered it. Um, But like, so like with, 
as a comedian, I started comedy when I was still drinking and using. So a lot of things I said on stage were not true. They were for shock value. They were. How unlike a comedian. (laughs) I mean, what? (laughs) What? They were just, you know, but, but, but what I found was, of course, there was this painful transition when I was nearly sober where I didn't have my drink in a shot before going on stage. So I felt, but I, then I started hearing audiences and being in, in tune with the room instead of like on my own little wacky path. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped being able to lie on stage. Like I, I had to tell the truth because one thing sobriety has given me is this <laughs> cringy pain whenever I am approaching a lie. I cannot lie anymore. And it causes for some awkward situations where I'll like, you know, I'll have to, I'll have to bow out of the date. I'll have to walk away from the friend. I'll have to, you know what I mean? I just like, I can't, I can't lie. Like when I'm uncomfortable, I have to express why. I mean, I try to Mm -hmm. run it through my own filter first, but like, Mm -hmm. I have to tell people why I'm acting the way I'm acting because I at least owe them that much. But mm-hmm. um, with comedy, it's just like it. My standup is an extension of me, and so because I go to meetings all the time and I sponsor people and I I participate in my sobriety, it's gonna. I have to talk about it on stage. Yeah. Um, and then in regards to what you said about the awkward reactions you get. Of course, I think it's worse in early sobriety because you, at least for me, I was still trying to go to the places I used to go, which is I live in West Hollywood. I existed in a two block strip of bars, you know, from 23 to 30. Like that's where I spent a lot of my time. And so I was still trying to stay there. And of course, those people are going to be uncomfortable by my now sober mm-hmm. presence. And it's going to turn mm-hmm. a, a mirror on them. And well, why'd you get so well, why aren't you drinking? Well, wait, why, why, you know, why, 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 why? And I didn't have answers at, or in early sobriety or none that I could articulate with any like grace. And so now when I encounter those people, I love it. I love encountering an awkward person because I'm so confident and calm that I just get to let them have their experience, maybe yeah. ask me some questions. Maybe we get to a point in the conversation where I go, I mean, I'm happy to like, tell you more if you want to know more, like mm-hmm. take my number down or text me. But I often, when I get those people, they're like, yeah, I think I, maybe I should be sober. They're cross-eyed drunk. And I'm like, you know, like, honestly, this was a last, this was the last rung on my ladder. Like if you can do what you're doing and you're happy keep doing it. Like keep having fun, go to your thing. Like if I could drink in moderation and have one night a month where I just like kind of got silly, Mm. I, I love it, but I can't, I've done all the research I need to do. And (laughs) now my, my purpose is just to kind of, Oh, it's that whole lighthouse thing where it's like, uh, we are like, um, we're like light, guiding people to the shore. Like we can't necessarily Mm -hmm. go out there where the storm is and like pull the ship in, but we can be a lighthouse and like, be like this way, bitch, you know? This (laughs) way, bitch. Well, you know, I, the way that you mentioned exactly what, what you said, it's, you know, you talk about it on stage in an almost self deprecating way, but not. So the truth be told 
it is one of those things that I love and embrace in my personal life is, is that we are all an effing mess. Yeah. And so we learn to embrace it, even in sobriety, like sobriety mm -hmm. doesn't make us all of a sudden mm -hmm. perfect. Right. Like, and like, sure, we're doing those little things along the way, the willingness to do, to, to do better, to that, that brings us to the place of more and, and, you know, self-discovery, but the, I think the true key, um, the key unlocking joy and um you know a desire to stay sober is embracing the authenticity of the mess and that is what i think that you do and what you talk about that just kind of disarms people from the stage i saw your show with a group of normies who were all drinking and having fun you know and i asked them afterwards i said so how did you feel about you know like when he self-disclosed was it one of those things that you know you know whatever and they were like no it was totally such great feedback the same thing that as a recovering person i assumed as well and so i just wanted to bring that up because i you know as a guidepost as as just some fodder for people to think and talk about um you know in, in our in all of our own journey um whoever may may be recovering or on on your path to recovery yeah. um you know that's a big thing for all of us so i um, yeah i love that i what you just like sparked for me is that um i feel like uh <laughs> i went from being a know-it-all to like very proud of not knowing anything yeah. and i like i love asking like why or how or like i don't understand or like yeah like i i i did this dumb thing let's examine why i did it because i think there's mm -hmm. like a stubbornness and like a sweep under the rug. And there's this, there's no one wants to admit that they are, you know, unmanageable or maybe insane or, you know what right. I mean? So there's, I found so much humility in sobriety and then you can be playful about it. Cause you're like, yeah, like I'm disgusting. Like I am, I <laughs> do some stupid, stupid shit, but I'm willing to admit that it's stupid, you know? And that's right. like, yeah, like you just said, it's embracing the messiness. Well, and, and you know, and I have to think that as a comedian, once you've reached what we're talking about, it's it's it, you know, it's double serving because you get so much more material that you can use, and you don't probably don't have to work that hard because it unrolls itself. Truly, uh, truly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So we spent a good amount of time talking about so many wonderful things, but I want to dive into just a little, uh, take a little bit of time to talk about um, the story of your life. So like, where were you born? Um, and, you know, the family that you were born into, can you totally. share a little bit about that uh, yeah, with us? Absolutely. Um, I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, um, the middle of three kids, Irish Catholic family. Um, had like, you know, like 30 cousins on my dad's side and like they were jovial drinkers and it was very like grandma playing flip cup, um, kegs at communion, which if you don't know is like a, a second graders, you know, thing in a in the Catholic church. Like it's, it's the celebration for a second grader. It's like, why are there kegs here? Um, so it wow. never felt like if I was going to drink, it always felt like, when was I going to drink? Mm -hmm. And, um, I think like, obviously I don't blame my alcoholism on anything, but 
being a little gay boy in the Midwest in the 90s was not cool. It was very isolating, feeling different, feeling scared to be myself. I like retreated within, you know, like I like my mind was the safest place or like escaping into TV and film. People say fantasies are their first like addiction when they're younger. And it was just very like, um, it was a very like, I'm sure everyone's childhood is a confusing place to be, but Mm. I, I will say being gay felt like a little da- like I felt in danger sometimes. It was just like a tumultuous landscape. And so when, when you, I first, how old were you? How old were you when you knew that you were gay? Oh, five. I mean, like looking back, really? like I, I okay, I was a pervert um, when I was five years old. There we used to have this place called in called the Discovery Zone. It's so ironic. Um, it's like a play place with like tunnels and slides and ball pits and stuff. And mm. I used to wrap my arms and legs around the male attendants like legs and look up their shorts because i was like i want what's up there you know you were curious i was a little i was yes anyway i have but i've been drawn to men um the same sex since i was very young um Mm -hmm. i came out i had a soft coming out when i was 16 in which i told friends and then i had a hard coming out when I went to college when I was 18. But, um, oh my, I started drinking when I was 15 and I was a binge drinker from the start. Um, I think the first night I drank, I threw up bile. Like I, I, but I, the I barrel, I the bottom of the barrel the of your stomach. Bottom yeah. of it, just like dry <laughs> heaving, like just like weird stuff coming out. But, um, when I drank, I, you know, it was like, I could finally relax. I could finally, my brain stopped going so fast. I felt Mm. comfortable at the party. I could talk to people. I perceived myself as funnier, more likable. I had all my first sexual experiences under the, the guise of drugs and alcohol. Um, Mm. and like it seamlessly just fused with my personality and then by senior year, you know, I was bringing like um, greyhounds to school, like in the morning, like vodka, grapefruits um, in my like coffee traveler mug. And it's yeah. like, it wasn't like I needed it. It's like I wanted it. I was like, this is so much fun. Like, this is such a life hack. Um, sure. And then college, I went to a party school and just more, 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 uh, moved to California. I had all these lines in the sand about drugs, did cocaine, you know, Molly, um, never did the hard stuff like meth or heroin. And I'm so thankful I didn't, Mm. but, um, yeah. And I like, I went, I feel like I went to the bars when I was 22 and I woke up on my 30th birthday and I was so depressed for the younger version of myself who had all these hopes and dreams and I hadn't accomplished any of them, like none of them. You know, I was, there's nothing wrong with waiting tables. I was waiting tables when I wanted to do so much more and I didn't believe anything that came out of my mouth. Cause I had spent so many nights going, okay, after work, I'm going to write my blank or after work, I'm going to do this. And then after work, I'd have a glass of wine with coworkers. Then we'd have tequila then we'd have Coke. Then I'd wake up in a stranger's bedroom, you know, on the other side of town. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, I didn't have any, I didn't have any 
self-esteem. I didn't, I didn't believe in myself. I, I did not know which was, which way was up. And, um, I was really sad about that. And so I stopped drinking. My friend took me to a meeting and, um, my sobriety was so slow. They say slow sobriety, but like that first meeting, the speaker made me laugh and he made me cry. And he gave me what I now recognize as faith, just enough faith to check out another meeting. And I went to another meeting and then I was like, I'd hear one thing and I'd go to another meeting and I'd be like, oh, and then I got to the point where I was like, these people can't all be lying. Like they can't all be just like, woo. Like, and it was like people who went from like sex work or went from like a, a bad home life or went from, you know, extreme loss to feeling so happy and grateful, mm-hmm. you know, and I was seeing these, these journeys and I was seeing these transformations and, you know, I just like, I got a sponsor for six months and I, it, the steps took me over a year to get through. I, I just dragged my feet and I still drag my feet a little bit, but I used to spend this much time in resistance and this much time in faith. And now I spend this much time in faith and this much time in resistance. It's been like, Ooh, that's good. It's been like a, you know, one fills up the other. And I have all of this beautiful proof that this way works. And this <clears throat> is the side I'd rather be on. Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay. So you, you just, uh, oh, you lit so many fires and I got a, <laughs> the, the first one that I want to tackle um is that i just love so much has to really relates with the mission of this show okay so um for me in early sobriety i could not relate with you more um my drugs of choice were really uppers and alcohol mainly alcohol but lots of uppers and i am add to the max before pre-addiction during addiction and after addiction, especially sure. when you took everything away from me, oh I could not focus on anything. But what I could focus on were the little, I, I would sit in meetings and draw or do whatever to keep myself occupied, but I would hear those little nuggets from somebody's story that would catch my attention and um, I, I, would, I would be able to relate to them. And soon enough, I would be able to piece each of, so many of those together to provide a chunk of hope mm-hmm. that I would be able to latch onto mm-hmm. that started to put together the building blocks that allowed me to establish a uh, foundation for recovery. And it was people's stories for me. It's not that for everybody necessarily, but I think for a lot of people it is. And so that's, I get so, I get so excited and fired up about talking about the importance of being open, those of us who choose to, like yourself, and tell your story, because I think that it's that, that, I mean, it's like an endless, you'll never know how many people, this, this specific podcast, every time you get open about it, um, you know, how many people that you're affecting the trajectory of their life. And it's truly, it's spiritual, it's magical. It's, I mean, it's whatever you want to call it, it is miraculous. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I love that you touched on that. Um, oh, for sure. yeah. And, you know, early on in what you were saying, you know, you mentioned something and I've never heard it, um, uh, phrased this way, but 
you said um, that alcohol was, it was like, you viewed it like a really convenient life hack, mm -hmm. a really convenient life hack. And the reason why I just want to mention that and bring it up is because I also super duper relate to that for the first chunk of my addiction career. And I think that many, so many of us do because, uh, you know, we don't, they say it's fun until it's not anymore. Right. But for, but I, I think that that whole perspective that you talk about of like, you, you, you know, you have your first drink, your first drug or whatever. And for so many of us, it goes through our mind and we're like, hold on, this really is like, this is, there's nothing not positive about this. It's, it's, it's a the, tool. That it's the first tool. It's the first, cause it drugs and alcohol have their place. You know, those people yeah. who like have like, are they're very nervous and they have like a drink to like, just call that's kind of an accurate, like, okay, great. It was the first tool I picked up that was like, whoa, mm -hmm. this works. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, no one told me about meditation in 2002. You know what I mean? Like, no one was saying, yeah. like, meditate. No, my parents weren't taking me to a therapist or a psychiatrist. Like, I was fumbling in the dark, you know, not, not only, not even for like gay role models or like a positive gay experience, just to survive as a teenager you know, and drugs. And have you heard, um, magic medicine misery? It no, starts, I haven't. Oh my God. It starts as magic. You're like, Whoa, what is this medicine? Mm -hmm. You need it to, to go to function mm -hmm. to the, I needed it to go to gay bars when I was in my twenties. Like I had to be drinking before I entered the gay bar to mm -hmm. feel comfortable. And then misery you're drinking and you don't know why you're drinking. And so true. You, it's like you're caught in this loop or you're caught in an undertow or whatever mm -hmm. that is. And you just don't know which way is up. Um, mm. Yeah. So, so true. You know what, that, that also reminds me what you said of, um, I was recently watching an interview with RuPaul where um, he talked about uh, who he's like 20 some years sober uh, as well. And um I think it was Jimmy Fallon. Somebody was interviewing him about it. And he said, um, no, I don't regret my, my addiction career. I don't mm -hmm. regret, I really don't live in the land of regrets for my life. Um, you know, I, I'm focusing on, on what, uh, everything that life has given me and my life experiences. I had some of the best times on you know drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. not that i'm advocating that people should go use it but it was part of my story and it's the same for you and it you yeah. and it's the same for me and the the more important thing is that recovery has become part of our story yeah. and and you know for those of us who need it it's possible and it's there and um i think it's it's uh that's the thing it, that we have uh, so much work to do. I think that those of us who who choose to continue doing it um, will never, um, you know, will never will never not have uh, work to do in the arena of breaking stigma, sharing our stories over, um, reaching our hand out to the next person that's needing help because it's always, you know. Um, I you sparked for me. Uh 
like, cause it's a spiritual, my pro my recovery is very spiritual. Like I didn't have mm-hmm. any sort of faith. I didn't have any sort of God. I grew up Catholic. I immediately knew I didn't want anything to do with that. Um, mm-hmm. But now I have this, this higher power that I like connect with, talk to, um, you know, have a constant dialogue with and my higher power is just positive energy because I can see I can see examples of it anywhere and I can create more of it anytime I want but Mm -hmm. I heard someone say that um religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell spirituality is for people who have already been there and like Mm. that's so like what you said about like I don't regret there was a phase in my sobriety I regretted like why did I get sober when I turned 20 not 30 like I could have been on billboards I could have you know done all these things but it's like no like I don't regret it now because it led me to this moment having this dialogue with you if you go back and start tweaking things you might be living in in a in a timeline where you get hit by a bus at 24 like life is fragile life is beautiful but it's fucking turbulent sometimes and like if you're here now not in chronic pain like you're doing pretty great you know like but that's where i have to come from like when i like tap into gratitude and stuff like that absolutely beautifully beautifully put um okay so uh, wow you are it's i mean considering what you do for a living it doesn't surprise me that you are such a uh concise um uh communicator and storyteller uh but but it is it is very easy talking to you talking to you uh, and i love that um so <laughs> next i wanted to ask you about um comedy right so where did that come from right did you always did it develop kind of um because you were funny and you were like ah, i can make a living out of this or did you as a kid just know that's what you wanted to do I did not know I wanted to do stand up as a kid. I was like definitely like uh, mimicking things I saw in TV and film, like uh, Home Alone lines. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was like good at like I'd make adults laugh, and I think making people laugh was a first deflector of like don't notice I'm gay or like don't notice I'm different. Like I will be good at I'm good at this. Like you know I'm entertaining, and I got into musical theater. I did musical theater from ten to eighteen. And then I studied, well, 10 to 22, I guess. I studied musical theater in college. But um, I always knew I wanted to do TV and film. So I came out here, found TV and film very daunting. Mm. And then um, comedy. I was introduced to stand-up. Uh, Sarah Silverman was one of the first stand-ups. I like was like, wow, that's magical. Like, what mm. I did was magical. And then I started doing that. I felt like I had like a little bit more control of my comedy career than like acting in TV and film. Cause it's just like a very like volatile, not that standup comedy is not, but I got to like right. be on stage live, which was what I was used to. Mm-hmm. I got to kind of like, I was in more control cause I could write a joke in the day and perform it at night and see what happened, you know? Um, but comedy is a very uh, dark, it can be a very dark place it's we're all um on our own literally our own journeys like we are on stage alone we travel alone we we're lone wolves and like i i always say jokingly that comedians are either in active addiction or recovery like there's <laughs> no at least one the good ones i feel like yeah ones like 
that from an early age, you have to find what's funny in a dark situation. Mm. So you, you have to have like a worldview that is so fucked up in order, I think, to really ha- have a handle on making things funny. You know what I mean? So like there's all uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Torment I can pull from both before I started drinking and then when I was drinking, I was like, oh, you know, looking back, that's crazy. And like, it's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm better now, you know? Mm-hmm. And your, your career is, would you say has taken off since recovery? Yeah, I owe everything. It's so, it's interesting. Cause like, of course the <laughs> negative voice of me says, well, like something would have happened anyway. Like, even if you didn't get sober, maybe, maybe, but like the time, money and energy I got back alone, alone popped me up. And then I got a perspective change. I got friends who really do show up for me. I got, and I got to become a friend who really showed up for people. That's what I should be focusing on. Um, I got a mentor who like cares about me. I, and I found people who like um, can relate to me. And it's because of the person I've become, not because of the person I used to be. It's like when I see a comic get on the stage and his whole thing, it's always a guy, it's about being stoned. Like all the jokes are about being stoned. And I'm like, put me to sleep. I am bored to tears. Like God help the people that they relate to this guy's whole set. Cause I'm like, I perceive it now. Now I'm sounding like a judgy, sober person, but like having been there and having not been there for six years I know how much more there is on this side of the coin than you know you can only be high for you know you can only numb so much before you stop having a human experience Ooh, that's so good and so 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 true (laughs) um okay I have got a few uh, questions to wrap things up for you. I would love to know who your top um, role models are in comedy and in recovery. Oh my God. That's really tough. Um, Should I narrow it down? Should I narrow it down to the top three for each? Um, Yeah, I'll just say, yeah, top three that that's okay. Um, So well, comics, I'm just going to list people that, inspire me and that I get excited about and they're all women well no they're not all women but they're mainly women Uh, like Amy Schumer and Sarah Silverman were early influences for me Mm. and then um there's a girl Beth Stelling she's just fantastic she's become a friend and I owe another one is Fortune Feimster oh my god she's so great and Nikki Glaser and like half of them are people I have in my phone that I text with now. And it's so surreal to me that they are people I adored when I was drunk at home on YouTube watching clips. Mm -hmm. And now we're hugging when we see each other and like catching up and like shooting compliments and like, I'm getting to ask advice and it's like very, Oh, my nose started tingle. Like I was going to cry. Um, uh, it's very surreal, you know, and I owe that to sobriety, like period and end of story, like drunk Zach 
might've been like a funny story for one of them, like how crazy I was acting in a green room, sure. but sure. this one got to go to fortune's wedding. You know what I mean? Like how awesome. Yeah. It's that I mean, is really, really neat. And I still have those moments though. Like, cause you know, our, we are, we want ourselves dead half the time, the way thoughts creep in. Right? Yeah. I, I yeah. go, she just, she just invited me to, like out of pity. You know what I mean? Like she, Oh, she just, like she knows I like need it you know but it's like that's not true that's not true it's just like so interesting that like my addiction is still scratching at the door that's right I'm just like I'm replacing my wooden door with like a steel door and I'm like I I barely notice the scratching you know like okay you just oh I'm so glad you mentioned that all right. So <laughs> you are, you have hit, you know, struck some gold with your career. And I just like, I love watching your journey. I've already mentioned how much I enjoy your, you know, your professionalism and what you do. I can't wait to, you know, watch you go further, do more things and bigger, greater things. Um, but I think that everything that you've done has absolutely been earned. And like you said, like, like, you know, talking right now in reality uh, is, uh, earned and, and almost a hundred percent sure, you know, possible because of sobriety, but imposter syndrome. Okay. That's what you were just talking about. And I love that you touched on, I want to bring it up because it's something that is so real and it affects every damn one of us, all of us, normal people, all of us, lowly, normal, um, uh, you know, uh, lay people, like we have imposter syndrome and we're like, you know, I, I don't know. I got this promotion by accident. I got this, you know, whatever. But like, I love hearing that even at your level in, um, you know, as a public figure, you also talk through and just share that you I have mean- that. And like going back to the beginning with making your bed esteemable acts, like it, it, it's all about like feeding your subconscious good thoughts and like good vibes and like good actions, like being of service, helping people, like you really have to build up yourself and, or even more simply treat yourself like you perceive your friends. Like if Mm -hmm. a guy like is rude to my friend that he's dating, I'm like, fuck that guy, delete his number. You're too good for him. You know what I mean? Like you need to do that for yourself and be like, Mm -hmm. you work hard. You deserve an afternoon on Netflix or you work hard. You deserve you. You're right where you're supposed to be. You're right where you're supposed to be. I'll say that. Like everything's happening for a reason. And like your actions guide you. So like do what you can, you know? So true. Okay. Uh, recovery role models. Oh my God. Okay. I mean, the person who jumps out of my head is first my sponsor because mm. I heard him speak and he had what I wanted. He was like a successful gay man in entertainment. And he was, he's, he was and continues to be so kind to me. He's someone who mm. nudges instead of demands. Like I hear these horror stories of like, sponsors like getting phone calls like i'm gonna kill myself and they're like call me back after you do it you know click and it's like oh my god like right if someone said something like that to me i would i would probably leave the program i'd be like yeah. those people are crazy this man mm. nudges me and early sobriety he'd pick me up 
because I didn't have a car and he'd take me to like lunch and he'd just let me talk and he'd offer suggestion and I'd, I'd take it more and more. And now I know what he would say to everything. Um, but so he's my number one. I'm trying to think of like other people who I love that Russell Brand has made his recovery so known. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm same with Dak Shepard. He speaks very openly. And I think Dak's actually had a relapse recently, but his yeah. podcast, it always kind of like works its way in yep. um, to his, because like any of us, like it's, I don't know if this is the thing for you. It's often hard for me not to talk about my sobriety because it's, it takes up so much of my consciousness, you know, from Absolutely. going to meetings, yep. talking to my sponsors, talking yep. to sponsees. What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to a meeting. I'm like, for what? It, what's at 7.30 a.m. on a Saturday? I'm like, AA. And they're like, oh, good for you. I'm like, eh, it is, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to think of other, like, I'm sure, like, well, I actually glad, I'm glad you asked this question because I guess I don't, oh, oh, Lana Del Rey is sober. And I just love what? her. I love her music I did so not much. know that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how often she talks about it, but she is sober and she's such like a goddess and I, um, just love her music. And like for someone to write such beautiful music, Mm. such, so fraught with like using and like stories kind of of abuse and stuff like that, she's turned a really dark past into a beautiful piece of art. I guess I at the Hollywood Bowl two summers ago maybe and it was just like one of my best nights you know and sober I remember every I remember all of it I didn't no one had to guide me to the bathroom or like you know I I didn't hook up with some guy in the parking lot not that there's anything wrong with that I might have the right guy asked but like (laughs) you know it wasn't my goal (laughs) exactly so the wrong intentions and substances were not driving the boat yeah Um, yeah I am so glad that you shared that with me because I love Lana and uh, that, I mean, that, you know, every, every, again, every person you find out that's on, you know, this same journey is just exciting for us to, you know, to hear about that and um, very, very cool. So, um, all right. I, I feel like you're going to have this, pre- one of these prepared. I didn't ask you this ahead of time, but I would <laughs> love to know. Um what is your most awkward moment that's happened in sobriety that you feel like is appropriate enough to talk about on here? Oh God. Um, that's okay. So I actually think I have like, um, a defense mechanism for myself where when someone asks me like, what's the most awkward thing that's ever happened to you? I have blocked it out. So I'm like, nothing comes to mind actually. But I will say, um, I will say I messing up quote unquote, Mm -hmm. the more sober I get is more embarrassing. Like it's so embarrassing to me when I do something messy. Yeah. Because like, I know better, like I know better. And like, I, I don't do many messy things now, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't think of an awkward, I, I promise you I've done a million awkward things. Um, but I, I, I just, I look forward to a life in which they become so few and far between. I, I don't need to hold on to them, you know? 
That's uh, you Sorry, know, that was funny. a lame. That was a lame answer, but it's perfectly fine. It's what it's meant to be, and uh, you know, it's so funny that you say that because um, my husband, who is a normie, he could not be more of a normie. Um, you know, he uh, oftentimes he's a very he's a fast thinker, a fast doer, a fast everything, and um, I am by nature a more slow person, but sobriety has also slowed me down even more because. <laughs> because of just what you said, like, I don't want to have to clean up any in more of the wreckage of my past. <laughs> I hate having to apologize. I hate, I hate having to admit that I had time to contemplate doing something right, but I still cho chose to do it the wrong way and hurt someone. And um, you dragged one for me. Um, I it's a, it was an awkward exchange. I was getting my car from ballet, which already is so crazy because I didn't yeah. used to have a car. I never used to fathom using valet. I was in Palm Springs. I was hot and miserable. And I perceived it to be that the valet was helping someone before me. And I like snapped at him. And I said something like cunty. It probably is not yeah. as bad as I think it was, but it was cunty. I like snatched my keys. I don't think I tipped him. Cause I was like, I'll show this kid, you know, right. this kid, this probably 19 or 20 year old person. And I got about half a block away before I was like, absolutely not. I cannot leave this situation like that. And I did a long turnaround because the, the blocks in Palm Springs are like two miles long. It feels right. like went all yeah. the way back around, pulled up to the valet guy again. And I was like, I just want to say, I'm, I'm apologize for the way I just spoke to you. You did not deserve that. I have no good excuse. Um, please accept. And I gave him $20. Um, and I was like, please accept this. Like, and if there's anything else I can do, now's the time to tell me. And he's like, oh my God, no, like people get mad all the time. Like he, he could not have been chiller, calmer, cooler, nicer. And I was like, ha this stupid bitch has a lot farther to go. And I mean myself when I say this stupid bitch, because it's like, <laughs> I'm twice this guy's age and I'm like embarrassed, you know? Right. But, right. Yeah. Mm, such a great point. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of us uh, have some stories like that where we just let her, let her uh, temper fly. Oh. But, oh my gosh. Okay. So Wrapping things up, I just want to ask, um, is there anything coming up for you? Um, are you on tour right now? Anything you want to talk about in the world of uh, your, in your world? Oh, like, um, I, I have like so many little projects that are like so close to fruition. But um, yeah. I will say like, if you want to follow me, Zach Noe Towers everywhere, Z-A-C-H-N-O-E-T-O-W-E-R-S. Um, that's where I, I post most on like Instagram and stuff like that. But, um, I have a sketch comedy show that's almost done. It's like five awesome. episodes and it, each one it's, it, it's very queer. Like it, there's an episode on twinks, daddy issues, drugs, dick pics, and open relationships. Like those are the, the themes. So that's mm -hmm. almost out. And then I have like a late night radio show that is in development. And that's um, awesome. So just like keep your keep the vibes flowing, the good vibes flowing. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Love hearing the good stuff in the works. Um, all right. Last thing I always like to ask our guests, you know, if somebody uh, for the people who have listened and, and connected with something that you said today, um, you know, what what final word of uh, encouragement would you like to leave with them? Oh, man. Um, be patient. Be patient with yourself and with others, um, treat yourself with kindness, treat people around you with kindness, and even treat people you perceive to not deserve it with kindness. And start practicing gratitude for the things you have, which I've been told is uh, make a list of things you had today that you would like to wake up with tomorrow. Um, so if you, you're patient, you practice love and gratitude. Mm. I think that's a really great place to start. Ooh, I like that challenge. Yeah. Making a list. Oh making my God. a list of things you'd like to wake up with tomorrow. Thousands of things, mm. you know, but I struggle. I do, I, I do a list of 10 every night with my sober family and um, I'll get to like six and I'll stall. And I'll be like, I don't know. You know, it's like, uh, like. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I'm going to do that. Um, awesome. Uh, Zach Noe Towers. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for your time. And uh, this has been a true treat for me. One of my favorite conversations I've gotten to have on this show. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, um, absolutely. Thank yeah. you again for your time. And um I'm going to close out the way I always do and remind everyone that it's never too late to start loving yourself. You're only one decision away from a completely different life and happy national recovery month to everyone. For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends. Follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself. 